White Rocket Entertainment. White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 730. 10, 9, 8, 7, ignition sequence started. All engines are started. We have ignition. 2, 1, 0. We have a liftoff. We have a liftoff and it's lighting up the area. It's just like daylight here at Kennedy Space Center. The Saturn V is moving off the path. It is now clear to the top. Hello and welcome to the White Rocket Podcast, brought to you by White Rocket Entertainment in association with all of our great supporters via Patreon.com. I'm Van Allen Plexico, and in this episode, our companion piece to our previous episode, we're going to be looking at the greatest music, the greatest songs, the greatest albums of what some would say is the greatest music year ever, 1984. And I am joined once again by the same crew to talk about this year. We have Jason Colvin and David Wright. Jason Colvin is the co-host of the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. Welcome back aboard, Jason. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be talking 1984. Yeah, this should be fun. David Wright is my longtime occasional co-host, as I describe him. I think you're on like our second episode we ever did, right? Not the first. Was it first or that's second? Right, that's right. Nope. Second one. Second one. Yeah. You okay. Did, you did Prometheus with Mark, and then you did Dark yes. Power with me. Dark Tower, that's right. Good deal. Well, you've, you've hung around for 11 years now, so we must be doing something right, or you just haven't found a better deal. I don't know which one it is, but that's fine. We're glad to have you. And so Jason and David and I are now going to look at 1984, and I think we're just going to just get right on into it. Uh, we just uh, made I it. just want to I want to yes. say that uh, yes. everybody knows that I championed the year 1984. I've I've gone round and round about 1984 in the year movies, but really it's 1984 in pop culture when you take everything. So you you can debate whether it's the best year in movies. You can debate if it's the best year in music, best year in comics, best year in TV shows. But when you put them all together and the totality. you look at at the the totality of it. Yep. 1984 to me is the clear winner, and so I am. Uh, I'm thrilled. I will always be up for conversation about anything 1984 pop culture. That being said, I feel like I let the year down with my list. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how I did. <laughs> that's good. No, I think that's fair. I mean, yeah, you're right. It, it may not be a 10 out of 10 in every category for me, but it's got enough eights and nines in the different. That's right. Media categories. It really is tough to beat. Yeah, I think of it as 10th grade. I think of it as the year that 1984, we had to read the book. I had to read the book in high school the same year that the uh, that it was 1984. Oh, wow. And yeah, that was I weird. I did that too in junior high. Yeah, yeah that was weird. And it was, just a, it was just a neat, it was a neat year. Yeah. And I got my driver's license this year. So now I'm driving around in my oh, yeah. old Ford, blasting, the, I'm blasting <laughs> a lot of the cassettes from the previous episode, guys. But these new ones are coming out. And that was the thing, is that the previous ones were so good that in 84, I was like, oh, I wish that this year was as good as last year, not realizing that 83 was such a year that I was probably never, for me, ever going to say that again. By the time 85, 86 came along, I'm like, man, nothing's as good as 83. So, But uh, 84 came awfully close for me, and I think it's really huge. And we're going to touch on some of what made it so big now. So I'm going to go in the same order. I could mix things up, but I've already got my little list and my playlist made out, so I had to stick to the same order because I was very short-sighted that way. So, Jason, you get to kick us off again. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, so this is my number five song 
from 1984, and you've already talked about it, but I was so big on MTV that uh, I don't know. My tastes were just on the main highway there. You know, I didn't uh, branch off into uh, something else until later. But so my number five song was released June 27th of 1983, but it didn't peak in the U.S. until 13 months later. Wow. In September of 1984. Wow. And it got some help because it was featured in the movie The Karate Kid during the soccer scene with Danielson and Allie. Oh. And uh, I just I just can't escape the, the hook of this song. It's so infectious. I love it. It's Cruel Summer by Banana Ray. Yes. Or as I like or as they always would say it, Banana Rama. Banana Rama. <laughs> I love that. They had a blonde, a brunette, and a redhead. I mean, you you already a British trio of blonde brunette. You can't go babe, wrong. Babe and babe. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> hey, by the way, this song was featured in the movie Fraternity Vacation. Romy and Michelle's high school reunion, wow. as well as the Kit versus Car episode of Night Rider. Get out! Kaboom! Wow! <laughs> Holy cow! And it's a yes. great song. Oh it's man! Song. I hated Car. He was evil. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. I mean, I don't love a lot of '80s synthesizer pop, but there's some that just maximize what that type of music could do, and I think this is one. I think it is. By the way, when you watch the video, if you see them kind of less energetic, that was before lunch. Oh. And at lunchtime, they discovered <laughs> cocaine. No, no. True story. And then the more energetic scenes are because they are stoned to death. So The 1980s brought to you by there cocaine. You it's what's for lunch. <laughs> There's no doubt. Nice. We wouldn't have Caddyshack without cocaine. So God bless <laughs> cocaine, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> All right, that's really good. That's a good tidbit. All right, now we're gonna to go to David for his number five song of nineteen. Oh, I gotta, I gotta let the girls play themselves out. All right, thank you, ladies. Out you go. Thank you. Go have some more cocaine. The number five song from David. Okay, number five, Jason. You've, I'll give you a real short window to see if you can guess who this is. Okay, this this song is from the artist's second album, but it was his career breakout hit. It would be his highest chart appearance until 2006 when he finally beat it wow wow i got i got nothing man keep going the answer is eat it by weird al yankovic <laughs> <laughs> it would it actually peaked at number 12 on the billboard hot 100 and it would not he would not do better than that until 2006 with white and nerdy which would reach number nine nice. so there you go uh, I loved, I mean, I was a geek and a nerd, and this was speaking my language. It was at the height of the Michael Jackson stuff. He replicated the video perfectly. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. I had the 45 on my record player. And uh, so, and, and you know, I've been a fan of his ever since. So there you go. The, the thing I remember about this song was I remember MTV interviewing him about it. And they said, like, what's the, like, is there any hidden meaning to it or anything behind it? And he goes... Well, he says, food has always been very important to me in my life. I wouldn't be here without it, and so I did a song about it. <laughs> I'm like, that's fair. That, fair I mean, that was the song that introduced everybody to Weird Al. So yeah. It gave him his whole career. 
I think I was aware of him before this song, but but it definitely was the one that really kind of was all over the place suddenly. So yeah, which is was unusual for him. He was always kind of niche, and then all of a sudden he was like big, and it's like, wait, what? Weird Al, what's he doing out here? Get back, you know. So that yeah. was interesting. All right, uh, my number five for 1984 is um, it's from the, an album we talked about in the 1983 show, but this was the. Probably the fourth single. Depend. I don't remember exactly the order they came out in, but this is probably the third or either this is either the third or the fourth single from the album. But it, I've always had an affinity for it. I'll go ahead and fire it up, and you can kind of. Wrapped around your finger by the police. And, and the reason I always liked it was not just because it sounds so cool. It had a great video with a slow motion with the candles and everything. Very minimalist, but it got a lot of effect out of that. But also, the lyrics. Again, these are those sophisticated Sting lyrics. It really is sort of like the Sorcerer's Apprentice. When you first just hear the name, you think, oh, it's about some guy and his girlfriend has him wrapped around her finger. Oh, no. It's like Sauron and, you know... Uh, Saruman or something. It's the sorcerer has him wrapped around his finger and then he gets the better of him at the end and turns the tail. There's a whole story in the lyrics of this song and it's a really cool, like a fantasy movie from that era. So, yeah, And it just has this weird ethereal quality to it that not a lot of songs have. So it's very unique. All right. Well, Video's sing. super cool. Super oh, yeah. cool. Love it. Absolutely. All right. So that's another, just one more time for synchronicity to pop up and it really shows how those albums from 83 that were so big like thriller and synchronicity just kept going they kept right on rolling into 84 all right uh jason your number four song from 84 okay so this song reached number one in april of 1984 this knocked footloose out of the number one spot which i thought was kind of fun this was written about this man's divorce and his so his wife's gone, his kids are gone. He had this song that he wrote about that experience, but didn't feel like it was good enough to make the album. So it was kind of left over. So he gave it to he worked on it, gave it to a guy for a movie. And of course it went through the roof in nineteen eighty four. I absolutely love it. Especially, he really leans on his vocals towards the end of it. This song is Against All Odds by Phil Collins. It was from a movie, and it had a big video, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. It kind of intercut between the movie and him playing the It was the definitely piano. a movie promo video, yeah. Yes. By the way, they asked Phil Collins what he thought about that movie when he watched it. This is his quote. First thing that comes to mind is the size of Rachel Ward's breasts. <laughs> and I like Jeff Bridges too. <laughs> there you go, Phil. Let's cut right through the nonsense and get right to it. Wasn't and, and wasn't um it was Jeff Bridges and her and it was um the villain, that guy, oh what's his uh, name? Uh, um, James James Woods. James Woods, there you go. Yeah, he popped up a lot in those, yeah. He's still around. Yeah. Phil Collins' voice absolutely is on the soundtrack of our lives. Yeah, one of true. the top three or four distinguished voices of the decade. Oh, he is the '80s, yep. absolutely. As much as Duran Duran or anybody else, he—that's the '80s. I, I put his voice just on, on there with Michael Jackson and Sting as just being very distinctive. You know yeah. exactly who it is the moment you hear it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and that made um, 
let them know it's Christmas or whatever so distinct because we knew all those voices as soon as we heard them on that song, which is my favorite Christmas song, yeah. For all of its this problems is, that it's fraught with today, it, it is still my favorite Christmas song. This all is right. his first of seven number one hits in the 1980s. Oh, my gosh. It's crazy. It's crazy. All right. Yeah, that is a really – no, I like that one a lot. I've always have. All right, that's Jason's number four. David, number four. Number All right, number I've got four. three tidbits on this, and I'm going to see if Jason can guess it after the first two, because if I give him the third one, he'll absolutely know it. Okay. Okay. First time, first thing, released as a single in April of 84, it peaked at number six. At the very first ever MTV Music Video Awards, it was nominated for Best Group Video, but it lost to Legs by ZZ Top. Fair. Dang. It was also nominated for Record of the Year at the Grammys, but it lost to What's Love Got to Do With It. Now I've got one more tidbit, but Jason, do you have a guess? Is this uh, Van Halen? Well, let me put it this way. This song includes shout-outs to Oklahoma City and Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> I never would have gotten this. I Honestly, I never would have gotten this. It's The Heart of Rock and Roll by Huey Lewis and the News. What a fantastic album, and this is possibly my favorite. Possibly, there's a lot of good ones. My favorite song on the album. It's just so much fun, so infectious. You just can't help but bob your head to it. Love this song. If I'd remembered it had this long of an intro, I would have hit the button 10 seconds ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I got the heartbeat, right? Yeah, I, think I had it to wait for that thing too. to get going, yep. yeah. Yeah. Tulsa, Austin, Oklahoma City. Yeah. Yep. I never yeah, realized it was that big of a song, <laughs> I guess. It was never my favorite. You know, Lewis somehow song, Columbus, Georgia, and Sylacauga, Alabama did not rate shout-outs. No. <laughs> Dang it. But we did get Atlanta. I guess we have to settle for that. Yeah. My dots at home, second home. <laughs> yeah, it, um, there were yeah, so he, many, he, he, there's so many songs in this album I like better. I mean, I, honestly, I think my favorite song on this album was Heart and Soul, the first one. Yeah. I love that it's song. It's good, right? It's really yeah. good. And then I Want a New Drug, right? It's awesome, too. I have them both above this. I can make a case for if this is it. I absolutely yeah. love that one. Yeah. Yeah. I love all those, too. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Interesting. Here it goes. Was this the one we talked about Cleveland or something? What was the deal with that? Yeah, he didn't like the fact that Cleveland claimed to be the heart of rock and roll because he felt like San Francisco was. And so um, he did a show in Cleveland and then came away waving the white flag like, yeah, okay, maybe the heart of rock and roll is in Cleveland. <laughs> and then that's how <laughs> they, ended up with the, and they ended up with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, probably. Or maybe they had it first. I don't know. But yeah. uh, he turned around and wrote this song, and uh, there you go. There we go. Well, fair enough. I less said about the heart. Uh, I was all for the Hall of Fame, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, until they actually started like <laughs> inducting and not inducting people, and then I said, "Yeah." <laughs> when they didn't put when they didn't put in Iron Maiden this year, they lost all my support. That just wasn't fair. <laughs> all right, we're to my number four song of 1984, and this is a weird one because it's not really a 1984 song, but dang it, I'm going to count it anyway because it was originally released. Um, Way back in 1981, it was released in 1981, did Whoa. very, very, huh? Whoa. Yeah, did very little, if anything. Old. Yeah. Uh, the band was not well known at that point. 
Uh, but then in 1983, the band became very well known, and so they went back and re-released their 1981 album. And Mutt Lange came in and remixed this song from High and Dry with a little bit of. And where did it go? I lost it. I had it. I had it. Oh man! Oh, here it is. They have a different cover on here on on iTunes. Um, he remixed it, put some piano type keyboard stuff in it. And it was big. And I ran out and grabbed... I remember singing on Friday Night Videos. They played this and Me and My Wine, which was the other new song they remixed. Which is a terrible song, but I love it anyway. <laughs> and um, and I love uh, High and Dry as much as I do Pyromania. It's just a great album. High and Dry is a great. fantastic album. Yep. So it... Yeah, I forgot. It's, and they added those, uh, those organs in kind of the... In the gaps, yeah, in the in the chorus and the gaps, yeah, you're right, and it's uh, and it became a big hit. It was the only single from High and Dry's reissue, and I remember it had two extra songs: this, the remix of this, and um, and Me and My Wine, and it also had that great lead-in with uh, Switch Six Twenty Five, the instrumental. That is such a good album. Gosh, I love it so yeah, much. It is. All right, Jason, we're gonna scroll all the way back up. To the top, and it's time for your number three. Believe it or not, let me go ahead and let the let the boys from Sheffield go. There we go. Okay. Okay. So this is my number three song from 1984. But the weird thing to me, this is just absolutely mind blowing, is that this song only made it to number four on the Hot 100. Mm. Okay. Only number four. I can't even believe it. It is almost universally read that this is the greatest music video of all time all 14 minutes of it <laughs> directed by john landis this is michael jackson's thriller we'll get the whole little bit here why not <laughs> by the way vincent price had his choice either 20 grand or royalties he took the money Oh. It cost himself a ton of cash. Millions, oh. probably. <laughs> Poor Vincent. Oh, yeah. You know, I just recently, I mean, we know him as like a cartoon character in his later years, but I recently caught, um, I caught his, uh, was it the Last Man on Earth movie? Yeah. From like in the 50s, black and white. It's really an effective low-budget zombie movie. I recommend it. It's um, it's it's that Richard Matheson story that went on to be yeah. um, done a bunch of different times and everything, where he's the last non-vampire zombie, whatever you know. It's really effective. It's a really well done. It shows you how you can do a good horror movie on like twelve bucks, you know, and nice. it's really good. I recommend it. Yeah, this was something. This was quite the um, quite the event. It was almost like the equivalent today of like a Disney Plus series coming out or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you want to hear the uh, three other songs that were higher that blocked Thriller from the yes. spot? Yes, hit it. Number three, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Okay, fair enough. Which was a force in 1984. 99 Love Balloons by Nina. No, no, really? Which is another great song. And then finally, Jump by Van Halen. I mean, ah, okay. Good. Yeah. It's pretty stout yeah. top four right there. So, uh, my that's uh, yeah, that's unbeatable. Uh, how awesome was music in 1984? 
Um, exactly. My favorite little tidbit on this, I believe I learned from Surely Can't Be Serious, so forgive me for <laughs> stealing your thunder. Oh, but the, the budget for this music video was enormous, as you might imagine, and uh, was far beyond what the record label could do. So they actually approached MTV to see if MTV would pay for the production of this video. Wow. And MTV was like, we cannot do that, dude. That's, a, that's against our policy. There's conflict of interest. You know, people are going to wonder why we're playing it so much. We can't do that. So the solution, Jason, do you want to take it from here? Well, they offered to pay for the making of Thriller, the video. And then the sales of that VHS tape funded the, the video. Well, wow. They, they, Isn't they, that right? Yeah, they they MTV they got MTV to produce a documentary of the okay. making of, yes. and they took that money that hadn't been it. made. That <laughs> hadn't been made, right? That, so basically, it's like you pay for this, just watch us do it, and you can sell that as a different product. And there you that, go. <laughs> good. That's that's fantastic. You almost need a TARDIS to pull that off. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's amazing. You put me on the spot for something I did three years ago, by the way. I yeah. just knew that you had it. I had, I had no doubt. I wasn't. That's you know. great. All right. Well, that's Thriller. Wow, that is really cool. Um, all right. So, David, we are to which one now? I've lost all track of it because of that one. That number was, three. That was... Where am I number three? Okay. So, first of all, Spin Magazine named this song the number six song of all time. What? what? No. In July of 1984, it it knocked out Reflex by Duran Duran to take over the number one spot. It stayed there for five weeks and then finally lost the top spot to Ghostbusters. Okay. I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm not sure right, I have the right song queued up here. I'm going to have to hear you say it because <laughs> I can't believe that that's true. Here's a hint that will give it away. All right. This song, this song by an R&B artist has no bass line, no bass part at all. Ah, got it. Okay. <laughs> when yes. Doves Cry but, by Prince. Oh, but that's not your number four. I mean, your number three. Uh, sorry. That's what I have now. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, change okay. it around you got it on, on your me. playlist because it's coming up for me. <laughs> we can play it. Hey, I play the hits, brothers. I'm here right. cooking the grits and playing the hits, man. I mean, I've got I've got a little little bit more on this, but if Jason's bringing it up again, I'll, I'll hold back. I'll just say that um, this is in the rotation for my favorite Prince song of all time, but. My favorite Prince song changes depending on my mood, what I want to listen to, because uh, there's a couple others off this same album that maybe I'll mention later. But um, but obviously, Monster album and the number one single of the year, according to Billboard. This is when, when David changes his list after he sent it to me and I've programmed the playlist. So <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what I sent you. Now i got to go look it up. <laughs> Let me see if there's any other changes. I was going to say, if I don't have it on here, there's not going to be sound when yours comes up. But this was was not number number one. This was not number three. But that's cool. Whatever you like is fine. I got it on here. We play it. And it's an amazing song. And it is... It's, it's when they said it doesn't have a bass line. I remember the first time I heard that going, okay. But then I thought, 
well, how have I never noticed it? And it's because it sounds like it has a bass line. It's got that electronic drum that might as well be a bass, right? Right? Oh, man. man, I just saw what I sent you. <laughs> to think that what you thought was my number three was the number six song of all time is hilarious. I know. I'm just uh, like, it can't be right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I told you I felt like I failed 1984 with my top pick. Yeah, my number three and my number one switch places according to what you have in front of you. So, uh, <laughs> who let okay. this rookie well, on here? I can, I can, I can manage that. That's good. We call it automatic. There you go. <laughs> interesting that that's your number one now. The one that the one I, I that was I'm, the one that was astonishing to me could be number three is now number one. Jason, I'm not sure what to do with that, but we're gonna find. <laughs> we're gonna see in a minute, right? <laughs> See, if, well, if I realized what I had done, I could have kept my mouth shut and saved some embarrassment. Now I'm just I, digging my own hole. I'm going to throw something else out, and I'm going to say it now before we even talk about that song, because we're, we're playing When Doves Cry, which is one of the greatest songs of all time. I realize we're not paying it enough respect. But i got to say this. Your new number one song, I, I told it to my wife and my daughter the other day. My wife loves 80s music. My wife worships the Pet Shop <laughs> oh, no. Boys, just worships Pet Shop Boys. And she's like, I've never heard of that. <laughs> She'd never heard it before. I played it on my phone, and she's like, "I've never heard that." And I'm like, "Well, it was a kind of a big thing, so we'll see." Well, I'm just teasing it here. We're teasing it. We're going to get okay. to it in just a minute. Everybody's now. Everybody's dying to know what your number one is, see, David. So we, I'm very oh, strategic see. with this. We got to say though, <laughs> "When Doves Cry" is a fantastic song. Come on. Absolutely. Oh, oh, yes. Yes. It's a brilliant what? song. Brilliant I song. will talk about it. In a couple of picks. All right, we're okay. going to scroll on out. We'll, we'll slide Prince on out. Get back in your tub, Prince. Got to do it again in a minute. All right, we put, we put Prince away for a second. That was David's number something song. Three. 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 Okay. <laughs> number three. Three. Okay. And now we get to my number three. Oh, gentlemen, you've been waiting for something like this to come along. My... Number three, it has a great lead-in from the song before it. Um, and I'm just going to see, I'm just going to, but I don't have it queued up. So I'm just going to go, back in the village, back in the village, back in the village. <laughs> <laughs> Have any idea what this is? No, not big Iron Maiden fans here tonight, but set for me, right? I I don't recall Casey Kasem ever. <laughs> <laughs> they? Do you know? I looked it up. Martha Quinn. Yeah, right. Iron Maiden has sold like two and a half million albums all time, which is, I mean, that's like a fifth of hysteria by itself. Right. And yet they sell out. Oh, here it is. Power Slave by Iron Maiden. <laughs> this is their Egyptian theme album. Wow, okay. 
this is a great out. It's, this is I've talked to a lot of Jewish, a lot of uh, Iron Maiden fans. They consider this maybe their best album. It's the Egyptian theme. It's got the big pyramid with the pharaohs and the cover and everything. And Eddie the Eddie the monster guy is like a pharaoh. And it's called Why Did I Have to Be a Power Slave? I Don't Want to Die, I'm a God, Why Can't I Live On? It's got a bunch of Horus and Osiris and everything going on. A lot of really good, really cool Egyptian imagery. Steve Harris, the bass player, writes all these lyrics for these songs. And also, I had to decide which, which song from this album, because this album's got Aces High, Two Minutes to Midnight, Power Slave, and it's got the epic 15-minute rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, which includes like tons of lyrics from the actual Coleridge poem. Uh, when when Dayton Johnson and I were doing our Jewish pre-show, we were talking about this briefly, and Dayton's like, I learned more about Coleridge poetry from Iron Maiden than from my English professor, you know, whatever, teacher, so yeah, we love it, but yeah, so I had to pick one, and I went with Power Slave, but I could have picked almost any song from this album. It's just probably the best, best Iron Maiden, and I love this album in 1984. All right. You hung out with a scary crowd in high school, didn't you? <laughs> I was hanging kind of with the punk crowd. We listened to a lot of heavy metal. We, there was Van Halen, Ozzy Osbourne, Black Sabbath, all that kind of stuff that we were playing, driving around. But I played a lot of Def Leppard and Journey and stuff, too. I liked almost everything back then. Um, all right, so that was my number three. Got to get, get Iron Maiden in the mix somewhere. Um, don't have a Judas Priest song in my top five, interestingly. I'll go ahead and give that out now that I don't. All right, let's go back up to Jason for number two. Number number two. Number two. Okay, so this reached number one on February 25th of 1984. And the interesting thing to me about this particular song is the story behind the video. So you have Robert Lombard as the director of the video. He wanted to show a personal side to the band, right? Well, the lead singer wanted him to intercut shots of sort of hedonistic activities going on. And the other members of the band didn't want him to include those shots in the video. So he, when he spliced the video together, he showed it to the other members of the band. And uh, word got back to the lead singer. And the next day, the director was fired because uh, you don't get between the lead singer and the guitarist in this band. And this song, yeah. of course, is Jump. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. The opening song of Ready Player One, the movie. Yes. Yes. And the, my favorite trailer from Ready Player One. Yeah. And this is the one where Eddie started playing keyboard. David Lee Roth didn't like that Eddie would have played keyboards. Fussed at him about that. Yep. But I'm, I maintain that one of the things that was very effective about this video is that Eddie just looks so joyous and happy in it. He's most rock, yeah, most rock guitarists are trying to be like, mm, you know, look at me, right? And Eddie's just like, he just couldn't, he's just <laughs> grinning, he's smiling, he's laughing. And I think that, that made, it, it makes him unique and you appreciate him and, and enjoy him and the fun that he's having. At least that came across to me. I don't know about everybody else. I'm totally yeah. yeah, I mean, the keyboards, you know, softened their sound. I think it divided fans, at least at the time. But, uh, man, hearing that, just hearing that simple keyboard riff today just takes you right back, right away, to such a fun time. Fun time in America, fun time in our lives. Uh, you know, it just yeah. it just captures. I know you said it, it sounds like it came out in the wintertime, but to me it just kind of captures that 
that summertime Summer. fun of the I'm mid 80s. Yep. Yeah. It, either late 84, early 85, the rock station in Birmingham, the rock radio station in Birmingham, put out their list. I don't know how, I think the fans voted. And they put out a list of the top 500 songs of rock history vo- voted by the fans in Birmingham. And I was like, I didn't get, they played them and I didn't get to hear it all because it lasted like three days. But you could write in and send them a stamp self-addressed envelope and they'd mail it back to you in those days, right? The equivalent of going to their website. Right. And I got it. I, I was like, I've got to see the whole list. And I sent it in and I got it back. The number one song of all time on their survey was Stairway to Heaven, Led Zeppelin. The number two was You Won't Get Fooled Again by The Who. And, uh, or no, Freebird. It was Freebird by Leonard Skinner. Four was Won't Get Fooled Again. Number three of all time was Jump by Van Halen. Wow. That just wow. shows you how big this song was. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. I maintain that the, the, you know, a lot of people will say you've got the DLR era and you've got the Sammy era. Yes. But really the break is right here, in my opinion. It's the pre-1984 era and the post-1984 era. What was right before this was Diver Down? Diver Down. Diver yeah. Down. When Eddie, when Eddie brought synthesizers to the mix, that's it. It changed the sound, and it they blew up in popularity, but it, it did change their sound. It did. That's right. That's a good point to just slide them on out, and it even changed the name of a Pointer Sisters song because they were going <laughs> to right. call it Jump, and they changed it to Jump for My Love because they didn't want to confuse it with the Van Halen song. All right. Uh, lots of cool stuff to talk about that song. Uh, so that was number two? Number two. Wow, we're That's already right. to number two. David, you're number two from 1984, and I'm terrified. I'm just sitting on pins and needles waiting to find out if it's something I know about or not. <laughs> this, this song was released in January of 84 from a female artist. It's her okay. first number one hit. <laughs> it's, she wrote this song. She, the writing process started with the title, and she worked from there. Okay. She got the title from a 1979 sci-fi film called Time After Time. It is Cindy Lauper's Time After Time. That's a great movie. I didn't know they had a connection. Yeah, there you go. That, I love that this movie. This is easily my favorite Cindy Lauper song. I, it's a banger. It's, it's an absolute banger. I just, I love it. I put it up there with every rose has has its thorn for ballads from the 80s. Yeah. Banger. That That's the movie, by the way, Time After Time, that's got H.G. Wells traveling through time in his time machine chasing Jack the Ripper. I mean, you that's just the elevator pitch of all time right there. <laughs> right? I mean, wow. you go into a movie studio and say, I want to do H.G. Wells builds his own time machine to chase Jack the Ripper through time. And you're just like, Sign, well, we'll start production tomorrow. That's yes, right. sir. How about a $10 billion to make it? <laughs> so, it's a great, and Malcolm McDowell and, and David Warner, the great David Warner. But anyway, yeah, this is an absolutely great song. It is you know, interesting. Well, it, to me, it goes against her kind of her character persona you yes. know it's a totally different sound from her that's what i was gonna say and, yeah. and it's 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 kind of haunting vocals and it's really just about the power of commitment you know which is really not the side of things that you hear a lot really in the songs um and i just it i just it's captivating to me it always has been. Can't you, I'll be 
It shows her range a little bit. This song is also in Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> but yeah, it, it shows her range because we'd seen her doing the whole girls just want to have fun, up-tempo, bang, you know, pop, pop, pop. And now here's yeah, something very different. Yankee voice, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With the wrestlers and everything, yeah. This is totally yeah. different. Totally different. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Song. Love it. For a while, there was a real question between her and Madonna who was going to be like emerging as the top female artist. And I think Madonna pretty much won, but Cindy gave her a heck of a fight there for a long time. That's right. That's she right. did. All right. Let's slide Cindy on down here. Um, so that was number two for David. We're up to my number two. Oh, I hope it's another hardcore heavy metal. Oh, no, it's not. It's not. It is... <laughs> All right, I told you guys that I liked this band okay. Um, oh, I'm starting to scroll down a little bit. Here it is. Uh, I liked this band okay back in the day, but I've come to like them more and more and more over the years. And this, for a very long time, was my all-time favorite song ever. And it was filmed outside a castle in the U.K., They set up all their electronic equipment all around the castle, in the grass, inside the rooms. And um, it is a song about Martin Luther King Jr. I just love everything about this song. I love the words. I love the music. The sound of it was so unique at that time. The, the guitar sound the edge gets there is just so yeah. different. And um, there were two different videos. One kind of shows scenes around Dublin, maybe, and the other one is like inside the castle where they actually recorded it. Yeah. So, there's something else I was going to mention about it, but I don't know what it was. Oh, this is, the song that, this is the song that didn't get to be played at Live Aid because they went on with the other song, which I'm going to get to later. We don't too long. Yeah, okay. And I know Bono, exactly what you're talking about. Bono climbed down off the stage, got stuck, and they played the same song for like 11 minutes and ran out oh, of time. That's amazing. <laughs> so, they never got to play this song. This is their big hit at the time of Live Aid. This was their biggest hit, I believe, at the time of Live Aid, and they never got to play it at Live Aid. And the band was so mad until everybody started talking about how great their show was, and then they were like, okay, you're not, you're forgiven. Right. All right. All right, so there was uh, Pride in the Name of Love. They actually do multiple songs about Martin Luther King, which is not surprising knowing them and their sensibilities, but, uh, but that one, I think, is the best. So, All right, that was number two. That was my number two. So now we're up to number one. We're going to hold off, right? And we're going to talk about the honorable mentions. And then we'll do the albums. And then we'll come back and do the number one song of 1984. So, Jason, what are your honorable mention songs from 84? Okay. I've got a couple of honorable mentions. This song was released May 7th, 1984. Only reached to number 12. Um, But here's the interesting tidbit on this song. The video was shot at the Hilton family home in Beverly Hills. So, like, Paris Hilton's parents had their, you know, Beverly Hills house at their swimming pool. And it's the same place the conclusion of the movie Blind Date with Bruce Willis and Kim Basinger was shot. (laughs) Wow. 
and the the singer is walking on water on the swimming pool, and I still can't figure out how they did it. But that song is called "Magic" by the Cars. Oh, I love that song. That's hey, that's a great, great, great album that needs to be mentioned because it had so many great songs on it and so many great videos. Oh yeah, I think we're gonna cover that next year on Shirley. So okay, love Heartbeat City. So. Oh, it's everything on it so good, yes. And the videos I have great. a feeling I'm going to be bringing that up here in just a minute. So. <laughs> <laughs> My other honorable mention for 1984, when it starts with a organ, like church music, yes, and it starts out, Dearly beloved, we have gathered here today to get to this thing called life. I'm like, crank it up to 11. I'm singing. I'm, whatever I'm doing, I'm stopping. Princess Let's Go Crazy. So incredible. I can't believe I've got it so low, but uh, absolutely love that song. Probably my second favorite Prince song after Mountains. It, it's yeah. in the rotation with me with Dove's Cry for sure. number one song. And it, the, the, and the ending, my goodness, the ending just absolutely <laughs> blows you out. It goes on and goes on, yeah. And such a great kickoff to the movie. That's like how the movie starts, yeah. you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, David, your honorable mentions. Jason, what if I told you that Ray Parker wrote and produced <laughs> a hit song, Ray Parker Jr. wrote and produced a hit song in 1984 that did not rip off Huey Lewis, which you know what I was talking about. Uh, <laughs> no, because no. Okay, he is the writer and producer of the song, but he's not the artist. What? Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, I can tell you that this is an R&B vocal group with the background vocals sung by the future members of Belle Biv DeVoe. Lead vocals shared by Ralph Trezvant and future star Bobby Brown. This, my, I'm a New Edition fan, but I'm a New Edition fan for, of their grown-up sound. They matured, they changed, everybody knows who they are. They took over New Jack Swing. But they had a bubblegum soul phase early in their career as kids. And on their sophomore album, they had a couple of number one hits. And one of those is Mr. Telephone Man, written and produced by Ray Parker Jr. Wow, I did so, not know that. You're blowing so, my mind. I'm not really a fan of their bubblegum little kitty face, but uh, so that's why they're rated to the uh, honorable mentions because of what they would go on to do in their future careers. But there you go. So uh, nice. Huey, Lew Huey Lewis didn't uh, get all his money. So Wow. Uh, okay, so my other honorable mention. Uh, so like I was, like I said in last week's episode about how the, what I really like about this era of music is just all of it. Like just immerse yourself in it and just really just have all the songs. And so when making a favorite list, I gravitate to my favorite artists who had more than one song that I like. There's so many that just capture the spirit of the times, but I was never really like a fan of this, of that group or that artist, so to speak, but just all of them in general, like they all together, I call them my vibe songs, right? So from 1984, my vibe songs included things like Karma Chameleon, Owner of a Lonely Heart, Hold Me Now, Almost Paradise, Eyes Without a Face, Sunglasses at Night, all yeah. these songs. Yes. Like you just, I, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a huge fan Reach. of any of those artists, but I love all those songs, right? Right. right. So I can, I can name 30 or 40 of those, but the number one out of that batch was from a certain group from, I believe it's Norway. Is that right, Jason? Uh, sounds right, David. Take On Me by Aha. Ah, uh -huh. uh -huh. yes. there you go. Yes. Now, um, this song was released in 84, so that's why I get to talk about it. <laughs> it only gets an honorable mention because it was not a hit in 84. It took a re 
release. It took a reimagining, a remix, and everything right. else, and a video, a new video, a second video, uh, to bring to make it a hit in the United States, and where it hit number one. So that video, directed by Steve Barron, who also did Billy Jean, which is a video I loved and thought was so imaginative and so creative, he took it to a whole new other level, and everybody knows what I'm talking about with all the rotoscoping and everything. One of the greatest videos ever made. One of the greatest music video of all time, iconic to the decade. Yes. Uh, How can you not do this show without talking about Take on Me? Yes. No, I'm so glad that you mentioned him. Yeah. No doubt. I love the technicality of the original version <laughs> right <laughs> which was not a hit but there it was, you go. It was like right. a little james bond movie or something in animated it was some fantastic it was great yeah all right awesome then of my course honor, they do living daylights yeah yeah that's right that is how yeah, they ended up doing that's right i knew there was a bond connection but it went right out of my brain but you're right yeah so so, so i like to do chart histories it was number one in october of 85 it knocked out oh sheila to take over the number one spot oh sheila <laughs> Yeah, and then after one week at number one, it lost out to Saving All My Love for You by Whitney Houston. Yeah, well. Her Whitney's, first one. Whitney going to Whitney. Yeah. Yep. All right, my honorable mentions, Let's Go Crazy by Prince, because that is probably, like I said, my second. It was, I mean, it was like number four, number five, and then I remembered a couple other songs, and it got bumped into the honorable mentions. That's too bad. Uh, I the, the second Queensryche album came out that year, which is my favorite Queensryche album, honestly, which is The Warning. And I like the title track from The Warning. Warning, warning. I love that song, The Warning. and that, that, The whole Warning album is fantastic by Queensryche. Fantastic. If you like um, if you like Operation Mindcrime or Empire or whatever, go back and listen to The Warning. It is fantastic. Um, uh, I also have to mention the Yes 90215 album and It Can Happen is probably my favorite song. I love all the songs on that album, but It Can Happen to You, It Can Happen to Me, It Happens to Everyone Eventually. That is a great, great song, even better than Owner of a Lonely Heart or Leave It. Uh, my Cars song is Drive. That's the ballad sung by the bass player. Oh, love it, love it. The lyrics are fantastic. It's just such a powerful song. And then I have Cruel Summer from Bananarama, which I guess... Bananarama. Bananarama, which I guess <laughs> was across the years, so it, it's both. So, All right, that's my honorable mentions. Now we're going to hey, do the... By the way, just one, one more quick tidbit. Yes. We keep talking about Heartbeat City. Yes. But Lang actually produced Heartbeat City. Dang, I didn't realize that. Which but is why he was working on Heartbeat City, so he couldn't do the this next year. Def Leppard album. But a car wreck, a couple of rehab stints, and drama, drama, drama <laughs> delayed hysteria. Yep. And so then he eventually made it to hysteria, thankfully. so Because they, I remember that you say that. I remember Joe Elliott saying in like 84, he said, we're working on our next album after Pyromania. But he said, Mutt Lange is not going to be involved. And he said, the songs are going to sound more like Billy's Got a Gun and Die Hard the Hunter. And then when Mutt Lange came in, you suddenly probably got Animal and Love Bites and, you know, stuff that didn't sound like Die Hard. Yeah, stuff that didn't sound like Die Hard the Hunter. Look, guys, (laughs) there's there's these songs on Pyromania that were big hits, and there was Die Hard the Hunter and Billy's Got a Gun. (laughs) Which way do you think you probably ought to go, right? And and Mutt's going to steer him right. And they always said he he was the sixth member of the band anyway, so... Um, all right, it's time to do the albums. 
So Jason, walk us through your five top albums, and then we're going to remember, folks. Then we're going to come back and do the number one song of nineteen eighty four. So what are your five okay. favorite albums? Okay, quickly. I I could have done something a little more cool, giving me a little more street cred for my number five album, but I mean, literally, the four singles released from this album went number one, number one, number three, and number one. Wow. This was. Make It Big by Wham. And in 1984, man, it was a four. Right? It was. Wake Me Up Before You Go, Go, Careless Whisper, Freedom, Everything She Wants. George Michael demonstrated that he was getting ready to take over the 80s. Yeah. So I love that album. Okay. Fair. My number four album of 1984. Seven singles. Album went number one. By 2012, it sold 30 million copies. This is the album that introduced a young Jason to The Boss, Born in the USA, by Bruce Springsteen. Ripped off by every political party that ever wanted to have a music <laughs> right. candidate. Yeah, That's right. I mean, seven great songs. Dance in the Dark, Cover Me, Born in the USA, I'm on Fire, Glory Days, I'm Going Down, My Hometown. Those are all great songs. Yep. So, Born in the USA, number four. Monster um, album. Yes. Number three in 1984 has to be 1984 by Van Halen. Eddie discovers the synthesizer. We have Jump. We have All Wait. We have Panama. We have Hot for Teacher. That doesn't even include Top Jimmy, Drop Dead Legs. Uh, it's such a great album. Uh, absolutely love it. Yep. Party rock at its finest. Yep. Number two is actually a soundtrack for me. Released January 27, 1984. It had seven singles. And because it's a soundtrack, it's a variety of artists. But, I mean, you're talking about Footloose. We're talking about the Footloose soundtrack. Mm -hmm. So Footloose, Holding Out for a Hero, Dancing in the Sheets, Let's Hear It for the Boy, Almost Paradise, I'm Free in Somebody's Eyes. I mean, Footloose was freaking awesome in 1984. And it's got some Oklahoma roots, so I've got a soft spot in my heart for it. And then number one, I don't really know how anybody... <laughs> can take any other album from 1984 except Purple Rain by Prince. When Doves Cry, Let's Go Crazy, Purple Rain, I Would Die For You, Take Me With You. It's a masterpiece. And they did a video where they combined um, I Would Die For You, Baby, I'm a Star. They right. just ran them right together and it was perfect. Yeah. Seamless. Yes. Yeah, so with Purple Rain, Prince joined Elvis and the Beatles oh, wow. as the only artists to have the number one album, the number one song, and the number one movie all at the same time. Wow. Wow. Dude was hot, man. <laughs> wow. Uh, cool. 1983 may have belonged to Michael Jackson, but 1984 belonged to Prince. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And poor Lionel Richie's kind of in the cracks there going, dude, dude, what about me? Because <laughs> he had a huge album, too, and it's kind of forgotten. He, he did. He really I mean, it did. was huge. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you remember uh, the music awards that year were really like between the two of them and to some degree. My, Michael Jackson was there, too, and, and Lionel Richie and Prince, and it was like, it was like a three-way three battle to a certain degree, and, and Lionel won his share. Yeah, he did. We are the world. I mean, he wrote and, you know, was part of that. And yeah. yeah. So are you doing honorable mentions for albums? 
I have uh, two honorable mentions for yes. albums. I did Chicago 17 uh, and Heartbeat City by the Cars. Oh, those are great. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love that just in our honorable mentions, we're throwing out these all-time great albums, you know. Yes. Songs. <laughs> I know. Because you got to get it. There's, there's just so much. There's yeah. too much happening in 1984. Best year ever. All right, David, speaking of which, your five albums. Okay, best year ever for albums. I mean, how many artists had career-defining albums, right? Uh, I'm, I'll get to them before I'm done with this list. First of all, I'm going to say N3D by Weird Al, right? Because uh, <laughs> get that one like that, I mean, imagine you know, twelve year old nerdy me. I had it on, I had to eat it on uh, 45, and when I get the album on cassette, I always got it on cassette. I lost on Jeopardy, King of Suede, Raya the Kaiser, and the Brady Bunch to the tune of Safety Dance. This <laughs> album was just, just genius. Shoot yeah. it in my veins. This yeah. is exactly. <laughs> What I wanted. Uh, okay, so number four, 1984 by Van Halen, for all the reasons that Jason gave. Um, number three, sports, Huey Lewis in the news, for all the things we've already talked about. Four top ten hits. All of them are awesome. I'm partial to Heart of Rock and Roll, but I like all the big singles that came off of it. Um, okay, then we get to number two. Okay, and i got to talk about this one because you're going to look at this and go, what? This album actually... Is terrible. <laughs> this album sucks. Okay, it was a massive disappointment from what the public's expectations were. But this is the victory album by <laughs> the Jacksons. Okay, I have to talk about this for a second. You have to understand, Michael Jackson was still on top of the world in 1984. Everybody loved. It. We all fell in love with the idea of that. There's like five or six Michael Jacksons when we saw the Motown 25 thing with his brothers. And this was going to be, for the first time ever, all six brothers, Jermaine joining after leaving his other record deal, all six, this was going to be incredible. Michael Jackson's still on top of the world, and we're going to get this album. I, I was expecting Thriller Part 2, right? Everybody was. We did not get that. That was not what happened. It was, uh, it was, it was terrible. This was a case of where the reunion was going to happen, but none of the brothers were really excited about it. Michael absolutely did not want to do it at all. The songs, the tracks on the album were just solo things. Everybody had worked on individually. There's very little like cross-pollination, all that kind of stuff. But the fact that it was a reunion, the fact that it was happening at this time, and I did go on the tour. Okay, that's what I want to talk about. I was I attended the Victory World Tour. I won free tickets at a radio station contest, got on a charter bus with all the other winners, drove all night to Jacksonville, Florida, and wow. I saw the Victory Tour, okay, which that's was cool. really it was really the thriller tour. They played precisely zero songs off the Victory album. Wow. And they played everything you wanted to hear from Thriller. Of course, they did everything else too, but this was the thriller tour. Michael Jackson did not have a thriller tour. He didn't do a thriller. There was no thriller tour. Gosh. And in fact, he had never in his life been on a solo tour ever. Wow. It had always been with his brothers. And he and he was, of course, ready to break out. And it was kind of like your mom dropping you off at high school is like just drop me off around the corner you know don't want anybody to see you he's like i'm still with my brothers why am i doing this you know uh but but he was back on the road and they they did that tour and it ended badly you know two of them left the group after the tour was over all that stuff but it wasn't until the 1988 bad tour that michael jackson ever had a solo tour wow. it was his first one ever that's amazing. You, you are leaving me in a state of shock. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, but anyway, but, uh, but uh, as bad as the album was, and it's bad, I'm not going to try to defend it, okay? But the painted cover by sci-fi fantasy artist Michael Whelan, oh. 
I cannot stop looking at it. I it's still so love this cover. It is fantastic. It absolutely just captures my imagination. Uh, I want to get a poster-sized print of the album. You'll see it on my back wall one day. Uh, I just, as, as, as bad as the album is. I, I, honestly, though, for what it is, I can look back now and appreciate things about it. But for what, it, what we all wanted it to be in 1984, it was a massive, massive disappointment but that but as bad as that was that's how good the album cover is by michael whelan so it is absolutely love it and i love that michael's glove is all lit up on it like a star it almost is. they're singing from yeah. the album. So cool. it is. yeah it made me buy michael whelan books and look at all his other work you know was, which is uh, not a not a bad thing to do he's got some no, great stuff no let me say definitely an artist we're checking my out. one tidbit of information about it is kind of something you touched on is i believe what happened basically was that michael's dad said okay michael you've had your big moment now you got to share with your brothers and so they brought him in and each of the brothers got at least one song to be featured on that album right they each got at least one song but the ones that were hits were the ones that michael did yeah and of course they had they had there were three singles there was one big hit yeah and there was this was the same time also that he was appearing on other songs and making them hits like the uh Somebody's watching me, right? He just pops mm-hmm. in for two seconds on that song and made it a hit, and a couple of others, right? So he was still say say say, kind of kind of similar to what Prince was doing at the same time too with people, yeah. So, yeah. All right. So that was your. Uh, where are we now? I've lost uh, all track. Of oh no, that was my number two. So honorable mentions: Run DMC debut album. I didn't know it at the time. I discovered them a year later, but they changed the game with with that with that album. New look, new style. That was that's the zero year mark you have before Run DMC and you have after Run DMC. So <laughs> 1984 is their debut album, and I'm gonna put Like a Virgin on there too. Yeah. I, I'm honorable mentions because, like I was saying, this is a year of so many like iconic career defining albums for so many artists. 1984 Van Halen, Sports Huey Lewis, uh, Born in the USA, Like a Virgin, right? Purple mm-hmm. Rain. So many. I'm probably missing one right now. Like a Virgin does need to be mentioned for sure, because I don't know that any of us have it. Well, yeah, you did. You have it on there. Okay, it's an honorable mention. It's it an honorable it mention. Huge. It was huge. Yeah, huge. And career-defining, iconic albums yeah. for all these artists. And it all happened in the same year. It's pretty yeah. amazing. It's pretty it amazing. amazing. Yeah. Uh, so number one, Purple Rain, Prince, How Can It Not Be? Uh, I'll tell you on the uh, just absolutely incredible. Um, this uh, songs associated with albums with this album won both Grammys and an Oscar, and Rolling Stone named it the number eight album of all time. It's right. fantastic. It's a masterpiece. It is. It really is. And it held it held number one on the album charts for like twenty seven weeks, almost half the year uh, of nineteen eighty four. It's so great. It's so good. Even and though then, Apollonia I, can't sing, that that <laughs> song is still a hit. And it even had the really ooh controversial song, "Darling Nikki," that everybody was buzzing about. It had everything from oh, those yeah. banging songs to songs that had them, you know, like banned or whatever. It really covered the gamut there. And then "Purple Rain," which just goes on forever, and is yeah. And yeah. "Purple Rain" is another one that comes my number one song by him every once in a while. Yeah. If I'm in the right mood for it, you know, just that, just it's uh, it's the Super Bowl that, kind of that immersive. Yeah, it's just really cool. That song actually started out as a country song. Did you oh, know God. this, Jason? Started or life as Stevie a country Nicks, song. right? With Stevie Nicks, Prince yeah. and Stevie Nicks in a country song duet, and 
And uh, Stevie Nicks looked at it and said, no, I, I can't do this justice. <laughs> and then when he gave it to his band to play, they gave it a different twist. He realized it's not a country song. And it became Purple Rain. Who knew? So there you go. Incredible. All right. Here's the last batch of albums, ladies and gentlemen. The top five albums of 1984, according to me. The number five album of 1984 is the aforementioned Warning, Warning by Queensryche. It is okay. one of the greatest heavy metal albums ever. The number four album of 1984 is Defenders of the Faith by Judas Priest. It has been maligned, I think, unfairly as just more screaming for vengeance. I am perfectly fine with more screaming for vengeance because screaming for vengeance was so awesome. And while this is what this is what Dayton and I talked about in our previous show was that while Defenders of the Faith doesn't have a ten on it, like you've got another thing coming, uh, it has a whole lot of eights and nines on it, uh, including the Sentinel and others. So yeah, Defenders of the Faith. I wish that I could have seen them live. He got to see them live with Queensryche. He saw the he saw Judas Priest and Queensryche together, and I'm just like, die. <laughs> uh, the number three album of 1984. I hate to put Iron Maiden ahead of Queensryche and Judas Priest because I would probably rate them third in my favorite heavy metal bands. But Power Slave is the best Iron Maiden album in my opinion, uh, rivaled only by Somewhere in Time. I don't like the earlier ones as much, so Power Slave gets my number three spot. I mean, just. You know, I think it was K.K. Downing that said, I'm not saying I don't like songs like Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. He says, I'm as, I'm as up for a 15-minute history lesson in a heavy metal song as the next guy. But uh, <laughs> that's cool. My number two, and it's interesting, too, that my albums don't really match up with my songs, but that's a different category for me, right? It's like yeah. the sum of the body of work, not just one song. My number two song of 1980, my number, number two album, of 1984 is 90215 by Yes. That album has got to be talked about from 1984. We haven't really talked about it. Had so many the the, the owner of a lonely heart video alone was huge. And then they did yeah. then they did 19 versions of Leave It for MTV, including one that was a cappella, which I finally tracked down a couple of years ago after years of trying to find it. Um Every if you if you get nine zero two one five, which I sometimes slip up and call nine zero two one zero, but that's a whole other thing. Right. <laughs> um, if you get nine zero two one five, don't just listen to the hits, which is leave it and overrolling the heart. The whole thing is awesome. It's such a good album. Uh, my honorable. To, yeah. Oh. I was just gonna say I was talking to a buddy of mine today. Yes. And I was telling him, hey, we're getting ready to cover track by track. We're going through OU eight one two. And he's like, it's the uh, it's the Yes album with Owner of a Lonely Heart on it. <laughs> like, no, no, that's a different title. with, with Different zip code. Different yeah. zip code is that one. <laughs> OU812 came out when I was in my sophomore year of uh, college. And it came out just as I was breaking up with a girlfriend that I was deeply infatuated with. And so I have nothing but horrible, bad memories of that album. <laughs> and you know, you know how it goes, right? It's not the album's yeah, fault. Oh, yeah. But I can't hear right. it without going, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My honorable mentions are 1984 by Van Halen, Shout at the Devil by Motley Crue, Purple Rain by Prince, and another hard rock heavy metal album we have not mentioned yet, but has got to be mentioned, which is Love at First Sting by the Scorpions. Oh, How much great, did we man. listen to Rock You Like a Hurricane? 
yes. Okay. Yes. And Big City Nights. And then their version of Purple Rain, the song Purple Rain, which is um, Still Loving You. Yes. It's, again, it's the Scorpion's Purple Rain. Killer. It goes on for yep. 20 minutes and has that long, yeah, oh, but it's so good. Maybe my it. favorite album cover of all time by a young Jason because of the uh, little bit uh, revealing uh, yes. side <laughs> shot here. So <laughs> They got in trouble for at least one of their album covers and had to change it to something else. I think, it, in fact, it may have been the original version of, of Love at First Sting, and they changed it to like just them standing there like the band. I think they did a different version for Walmart or something. It, okay. it may have been, yeah. And then my number one album of 1984 is also my number one album of all time, and that is The Unforgettable Fire by U2, with so many, wow. so many great songs on oh. it. I just love. And, the, and the interesting thing about that album, real quick, was that U2 had just done War, which was a huge hit and was very up-tempo rock and roll. And most bands would say, let's go do more of that, right? Let's go do the thing that we've broken through with. And instead... They brought in Brian Eno and, and said, let's, get, let's slow it down, get more cerebral, more synthesizer sounding, and do something completely different. And it just caught people completely by surprise. And so if you listen to War and then you listen to Unforgettable Fire, you'd think that 15 years was in between those two albums instead of like a year. It's really remarkable. And if you, I read their, their biography, and it talks about they he didn't want to work with them because he listened. Brian Eno listened to War and said, "This isn't my stuff. I don't want to produce this band." And they sat down with him and Bono said, "We want to do something different, and we want you to kind of shape it." And he's like, "All right, well, if you want to do something different, we'll do it." And that's why it sounds so completely different from War. And I love that. And then when that's they did cool. Joshua Tree, they went off in a completely different direction again in, in some ways. Yeah. So yeah. All right, there's your albums. Now we got to go back one last time. We're almost to the end, gang. And we're going to hit the number one songs of 1984. Jason. Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> Jason, what is the number one song of 1984 for you? Well, yes. My number one song of 1984. Allow me to stand up nakedly out of my steaming hot bath and reach <laughs> my hand out to you guys. Even though Dave has already stole my thunder on this one. <laughs> It's absolutely the number one single of 1984. It's It's just so amazing that all of the things he could do so well, right? I mean, he's he's one of the greatest guitar players of all time, and also one of the great songwriters, and other mu- and keyboard, whatever else, producers. Plays all the instruments. What doesn't? And he does. It's not yeah. that he does everything. He does everything great. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, he's playing. He's playing everything you hear on this track, and he's singing every part that you hear. What was the point of the revolution then? <laughs> so he can do it live, I guess. I guess. Yeah. You know, they had this. This album was basically done and like, like mastered. And he showed up, and he's like, "Guys, I got one more song." And they're like, "No, we don't need it. We're we're done. We're it's ready to go." And he's like, "No, listen to it." And when they listen to it, they're like. Yeah, okay, we'll make room for that. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because that's exactly what happened when you got another thing coming with Judas Priest. I was just talking about Screaming for Vengeance. They had Screaming for Vengeance done. They said, well, we could put one more song on there. And they just threw that one out. And the and the record producers are like, the record label was like, oh, this is the single. And they're like, this? No, this was nothing. And then it became their biggest hit they ever had. So it's weird how that works. 
This, was this probably Prince's biggest hit? I would I say this so. is Prince's yeah. biggest hit. Yeah. I think probably so. This is the, uh, as we say on my movie review shows occasionally, this is the summit or whatever. Like this, it never got bigger than this. This was probably much the top yeah. of the mountain. Okay. I thought so. All right. We'll let Prince get back in his tub one last time and <laughs> slide on down to David. I have a f- feeling that we might. I don't know with you, David. Uh, let's see what's going to happen here. This is. We've this been waiting anti- for this one. <laughs> this is anticlimactic. I'm embarrassed. Uh, people are going to hear this and start screaming. Uh, I don't know. If it's Ghostbusters. I'm walking out of here. <laughs> I don't know. What I, now, look, I do like this song. I like it. I like it. And I'm going to talk about it. But I don't know what I was thinking, deciding at any moment that it was the number one song Hold of the on. year. We got we to gotta point out, the list you sent to me, your number one song was When Doves Cry. Yeah, maybe I just mixed it up, and now I'm embarrassing myself for no reason. Maybe, <laughs> maybe this was my number three, and When Doves Cry was number one. Maybe uh, that's so. how you have it. That's, that's what the you song told I'm me. Left with. All right, let's okay. do it. This I'm, is the song I'm, I'm left with. <laughs> well, what we got here? Okay, this song. Tell me when to peaked. push the button. Uh, I'll tell you when to push it. This song peaked at number three. It was blocked out of the number one spot by When Doves Cry and Ghostbusters. It would be the you last. You really want to hurt me? That's it. We've got it. <laughs> this would be the. This would be the last top ten hit for this group ever. Uh, the, and this group started in 1970, but this would be their last top ten hit. Okay. It, it was originally going to be a duet featuring Freddie Mercury. Oh. And that got recorded, and it exists. I would have listened to that. <laughs> but then when it all didn't work out to finish the album, they to finish the song, they brought in Mick Jagger to share lead vocals with Michael Jackson. <laughs> and Pushing the Jackie and Marlon were the only two brothers to sing back up on this track. It was the biggest hit from the Victory album. It hit number three. It was a good, solid hit. It oh, featured like it. two legends. Right? Legends. Michael Jackson and Mick Jagger in 1984. Why was this not a monster, monster hit? You know, it was number three. It only was blocked out of number one by When Doves Cry and Ghostbusters. That's not a bad showing at all. No, no. But it's a forgotten it's kind of a forgotten it's Totally hit. forgotten. Yes. And, it's totally uh, forgotten. Probably, right. number one, number one, probably because the album sucked so bad and everybody was so disappointed and hated it. But number two, there was no video. They did not produce a video for this. Wow. Um, that, and yeah. because Michael Jackson was completely uninterested in doing anything to promote this album, so they didn't do the album. Now, Mick Jagger performed this song at Live Aid, but he did it as a duet with Tina Turner. Oh, that's right. Wow, yes, wow. that's right. Yeah. I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, now. exactly. So, uh, so State of Shock by the Jacksons. This, this is the one that my wife and my daughter like. We've never heard this before. We don't even know this existed. This is totally new to us. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I like this song. I, I do too. Yeah. I do too. Yes. It's respectable. Yeah. It should be better remembered. It yes. should have a bigger reputation. Sure. But that's how disappointing right, the album was. Mick Jagger and Michael Jackson as a yeah. fan? I mean, yes, that should have been huge. Imagine winner, right? if that video was in rotation on MTV. How big would that be? Yeah, That he would did, be so massive. He did do that with Mick Jagger and Paul McCartney. Who can say that? Right. That's true. That's exactly right. And I'm just imagining um, what it would have sounded like with, with uh, Freddie Mercury. 
You can hear that track. It's available. You can okay. find it. Oh, okay. wow. Okay. Look. Um, um, so my question for y'all is, or I'm thinking Jason primarily, but either one of you, would this song have hit number one if they had had a video? Now consider the songs ahead of it were When Doves Cry and Ghostbusters, and it ended up getting passed by What's Love Got to Do With It. So would a video have been enough to put Michael Jackson and Mick Jagger at the top Wait, of the charts? So Tina Turner knocked it out of number one and then sang it at Live Aid? <laughs> Well, it, it never hit number one. It was number three, but it leapfrogged it. She, and so, okay. and so it peaked and it was gone down after that. Yeah. Okay. I think that's an interesting question because I do think videos add a lot of rocket fuel to good songs, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, it depends. Maybe you swoop in at, at the, just the right time as Windows Christ coming down uh, or Tina Turner hits. So maybe I can see yeah. that. Maybe it yeah. beat out Ghostbusters, maybe. you know, and hit, yeah. maybe it hit number one. But, but you know. As much as what you want to say too. about Ghostbusters, it was huge. Yeah, it was way better huge. than Ghostbusters. Ain't no doubt about that. Yeah. <laughs> so I apologize. That's anticlimactic. That is not the number one song of 1984. <laughs> oh, it's fun. <laughs> but uh, but I enjoy talking about it anyway. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's good. It's, and it, it's it's a good one. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we're to the very last song on our show, of our second show tonight. So we're all worn out now, but we got one more song to go. <laughs> this is. My number one song of 1984. It is my number one album of all time. And it is my number one song of all time. So maybe 1984 is bigger than I thought. I'm not using the 12-minute version where Bono gets lost in the (laughs) stage and has to climb up. Um, they were going to release a live version of it to capitalize off of Live Aid, but they couldn't use the one there because it, A, goes on forever, and he sings parts of other songs in it. He sings like, he goes off into like um, Ruby Tuesday and other stuff in the middle of it. I have all of them, of course. I play them all the time. Um, so they went and, and, and recorded another version, maybe at Red Rocks? I'm not sure. They had a, now that was under a Blood Red Sky. Red Rocks was under a Blood Red Sky. The other, but they did another EP, kind of like Red Rocks, under a Blood Red Sky, called Wide Awake in America, just to mainly get a live version of, of Bad out, because the album version they were never happy with. They said it was unfinished. They had to just kind of wrap it up. It doesn't have a, it just begins, you know, it just doesn't have a beginning. So the live version, by, for me, is way better. The live version begins with that. A lot more keyboard. I can't blame you. And then we get the edge coming in. This is just magical to me. This is the greatest song. And it's funny, too, because... Bono's got like 15 different stories of where it came from. <laughs> He's totally inconsistent on how it, where it He first said, well, a friend of his was addicted to heroin, and it's about that. Then he said it's about being from Dublin, Ireland, and it's about Dublin. And then he said it's... He just kept changing the story, but I don't care. I just love the song. And I do like the live version better, so... Dave, have you seen the live version from Live Aid on this? I think so, yeah. From Live Aid? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. When he pulls that lady out of the crowd and she's getting trampled or whatever and he yanks her up on stage. That's that's what I'm thinking of, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he's but he has to climb down two different levels, gets down there, pulls two girls up, 
Then he has to go around, gets back up. They've pulled another one up. He hugs her. He dances with another one. But the whole time, they're below the line of sight of the stage, and the band has no idea where he is. <laughs> so they get to the middle bridge of the song, and they just keep playing that middle section over and yep. over. And after it's the after really the cool. yeah after it was over, he said they're going to fire me. I've ruined. Every, I've taken their. You know they didn't get to play the third song. They play, They came out and played Sunday Bloody Sunday. Then they played Bad. They were going to play Pride in the Name of Love. They didn't get to. They were really mad. He said they're going to fire me. I've ruined everything. And then it was this huge hit. I mean, it's it's probably considered up there with I think the the, the two Live Aid performances that people talked about were this and Queen. Yeah. And I remember, in fact, the Spandau Ballet singer watched you two do this. And he looked at his, they said he looked at his bandmates and said, why don't we have anything that we can do like that? And I think it's just, that's what you two did. They were so good, especially Bono, at interacting with the audience, you know, and pulling them in. Because if you look at like, if you look at you two's live performances during that era, he would climb all over the stage. He'd go out in the audience and climb up on stuff. You know, he would like do when they would when they would sing Surrender, he'd like climb all the way up on the top of the other end of the of the venue and be waving the white flag while he sang Surrender, you know. And he could have gotten killed so many times, but that was just what he did. And other bands didn't do it. So Great. let it go. All right, there we go. All right, one more time around the horn. Your final thoughts about 1984 music, Jason? Best year in music. I every I mean I could have selected another 15 songs to talk about tonight. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I I love how no matter I mean we have different tastes and you guys have different songs and stuff but really we're drinking from the same river of MTV. You know what I mean? Yep. It was such a common experience for everyone our age. Um so I, yep. I just appreciate that time in our lives. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. David, thoughts about 1984 music? Best year in music. I'm not going to argue with that. Best year for albums. I don't think there's any year that comes close to beating it for that. Um, and like I said before, just uh, all of 1984's music. Uh, if you if you go uh, Spotify, I'm Def Dave on Spotify. I've got a playlist there. It's got all the 80s music. I will sit there and play that, and it just immerses me in in those years and it's just all of it together 30 40 50 songs from this time period that taken as a whole just absolutely transports you back i'll 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 just have golden memories of every one of them so i love talking about this stuff i think the rest of the 80s tried to play catch up to what 83 and 84 did and there's some great stuff 85 through 89 90 whatever there's some great stuff but nothing has ever, I don't think, come close to the heights we got those two years. And 84, I mean, which one is better? Who cares? They're both just incredible, fantastic. And and I still go to see tribute bands from these years. I still listen to this music all the time. My children listen to this music. It's not just of that era. It is timeless, I think. So, Guys, we got both in in three hours. I appreciate it. We'll uh, get these two up in the next couple of weeks, and uh, that'll do it for the White Rocket Show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll we'll get get you guys get on out of here. I mean, uh,
This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.